This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We've got a lot to cover, and I'm going to cover the big news, which you might have seen if you're on social media. I was listed by name on a um, on a request. I guess it wasn't technically a subpoena, but a request by the January 6th Commission, uh, Pelosi's uh, show trial group. Uh, they put my name on a list. They were requesting records from the White House, my correspondence with the White House. So uh, I'll talk about that. But the reason I don't want to talk about it yet is because the reason that they're dropping this kind of story is to try to get attention distracted from what's actually happening in the country. So we won't be distracted at the end of this program. In the last segment, I'll cover what exactly I think of this uh, fake subpoena of the records of my exchanges with the White House. Um, so we'll get to that. All right. But before let's get to what you need to know. What you need to know is Biden is losing at least a little bit in terms of the policies that he wants to do. Now, one of the examples of that is Donald Trump put in place an, an, um, a program that they called remain, actually a policy, remain in Mexico policy. And what this did was required that people who seek asylum to America must remain in Mexico, obviously, uh, until they, the case is adjudicated instead of coming into America. Because what happened in, in, with a lot of these asylum cases is people got um, to America, they claimed asylum, got to America, and came, and they never came back. Or they were hard to track down. Or they got intertwined in the country, in the nation, in lots of ways that made it hard to force them back out. So the policy, it also made it easier to say, we're not, we're going to build a wall. We're going to hold a border. We're going to have a border. And so when you have asylum, okay, go over to that door right there. That's the asylum door. Put your paperwork in, but wait in Mexico. And when Biden got in, he was in such a hurry to gut the border, to make the border chaos, that what he did was he just said, oh, I'm getting rid of the remain in Mexico policy. And he did it in such a way that it was improper. Now, and he was challenged. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton led the way. The case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And just yesterday, the Supreme Court said, you can't change the remain in Mexico policy. Excuse me, unless you do it right. Unless you do it according to the law. Now, is Biden going to do it according to the law? Probably. Is his uh, house going to want to pass a law? Probably. But as to right now, you can't come into office and sweepingly change all the rules and regulations without going through the process. Now, we should have a conversation on another day about how profoundly skewed our administ administrative state has become. Our, our government has become this massive bureaucracy where we have to deal with all this stuff. It's not ideal. But this is the system we're in. It's a system that um, Trump had to go through. He had to go through the system of getting this rule policy in place, going through the process. And if you're going to reverse it, you got to go through the process. That's the point. So that's good. So Biden's losing at least a little bit on the border. There's some control, although the question is, if the border is so wide open, why are asylum seekers even bothering going through the asylum seeking door? Just go rushing through. Well, the second aspect, second place where we're seeing this, uh, the Biden failures is Afghanistan, of course. I was out um, on, um, let's see, it was Tuesday night for dinner with two members of Congress. And I won't tell you who they are. I'm not sure that they would care if I did, but I won't bother. And these two members of Congress told me that the briefings that they've had about Afghanistan are so much worse. The, the conditions on the ground are so much worse than the White House is saying. And here's the wild part. 
the media, the fake news media, is sick of it, and they're sick of being lied to. So for a change, instead of them lying themselves, the media seems to be fed up with um, with Biden. And so Biden is having to answer or his administration having to answer questions. They say, oh, um, you know, what is the definition of stranded? Jen Psaki, the press secretary, said nobody's stranded. Stranded is a term that blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, it's like the definition of is, you know, remember when Bill Clinton said, you know, uh, what is what is the definition of is or what was it? Uh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I mean, but parsing of the words means you got a problem. And that's what's happening at the border now. I mean, excuse me, that's what's happening in Afghanistan now. It's very clear that the Taliban have been dictating terms. That It is very clear that things are a bit out of hand. And here's where I want to change up. We have to, as a nation, get out of there. So we have to start rooting for the success of the people getting us out of there. It feels a little bit like conservatives are rooting for a quagmire, for more of a mess. These are American lives. Uh, we've got to be careful. Now, Biden is lying about it. That much is clear. He's saying one thing in front of the press, in front of the people, the American people, and another thing is is on the ground truth. That's true, but that's not that's not news now. We now know that. We know the Biden administration is lying to us. The question is, how do we get out of there? How do we get the American people out of there? You know, there was a report earlier today that some a San Diego school had some students be uh, in Af- stuck in Afghanistan on a on a on a, a summer trip. And as someone pointed out, who's going to Afghanistan this summer? It's like asking, uh, you know, what 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 Americans are are left behind? I mean, in the last month, wasn't it becoming clear you had to get out? Why didn't people get out? Now, I know the answer, by the way. Some are there for they're paid big, big money to be there and their workers. So uh, and, and again, those are their choices. But the, the, the situation is deteriorating almost almost hour to hour. And I hope and pray that the deadline of the end of the month, along with the fear of, uh, uh, of what would happen if they did cause bodily harm to Americans. I hope that deters the Taliban, but I'm not sure it will. I'm just not sure. So that's deteriorating. That's a mess. Okay. Next one. The uh, gas prices are up again and you're watching gas prices up again and people are getting fed up. They're getting nervous about their, you know, going back to school. A lot more people are driving. A lot more people are getting on their kids to school and they're getting nervous about the economy. All of this wrapped together brings the news. And here's the ultimate news that Joe Biden's approval rating is down to 41% in one poll from 48%. It's a massive drop, which explains the last part of how Biden's failing, which is in the House of Representatives in the last 48 hours, I guess actually 24 hours now, they passed a half measure of their infrastructure bill and a half measure of their big, you know, massive spending bill. In other words, Pelosi couldn't get it through because the moderate Democrats were saying, we're not going for this. We're not ending our career because of you. So what you have is now a perfect storm, if you're Biden, of, of things going against you. And time is your enemy. Now, I still worry every day about whether 2022 will be a free and fair election. Because it's hard to picture a free and fair election after what we saw in 2020. The misleading polls, the uh, changing of the rules and laws, all those things. So I'm not sure 2022 is going to come off easily. But if the election was today, 
2022 would be landslides for Republicans in both the House and Senate, the federal races. Which brings us to the next point. What happens in two and a half weeks if Gavin Newsom is recalled and Larry Elder becomes governor? What happens seven weeks after that if Virginia's governor's race goes down to the wire and and the Republican beats Terry McAuliffe? I mean, we're starting to see what happens in politics, like a lot of things, like most things, but even more profoundly, actually. It's kind of a herd mentality. It's once thing once they get the conventional wisdom goes a certain way, politicians run that way. And it looks like Democrats are going to start running for the door, retiring, not running for reelection or looking for ways to run to the middle, to the moderate side. So think about that. What, what Biden is, is overseeing is gas prices high with inflation going up. Afghanistan, an absolute quagmire. The, the border, an absolute disaster that more and more people are knowing. And by the way, the Supreme Court case in the last 24 hours is a hook that people can hear how Biden's policy. Remember, you got to get coverage of these things. So, but it's a hook. They cover the Supreme Court. We go, oh, wow. They changed the remain in Mexico policy. It's over time. These things have an aggregate effect. And so, and here we are watching all these pieces and Biden's numbers are tanking. At what point is he sufficiently toxic that his party starts to step away from him? I'm talking about politics. I don't think there's anybody anybody who thinks that they're going to push him out. I don't think you understand how how this dynamic works. They're happy, you know. Susan Rice, Ron Klain, uh, Jill Biden—they're running the country anyway. They're not going to move anywhere, and they don't—they they don't get along with Kamala. But that's what's happening. That's the anchor that's uh, that's now weighing down Joe Biden's presidency, and it may be the only thing that saves us from just some terrible, terrible policies. All right, we better take a break. We got some great interviews, a new book. We're going to talk with Melanie Kirkpatrick. Got a book, a book called Lady Editor. Fascinating book, a book about a woman, a uh, great American success uh, story, and a lot more. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. John Schlafly joins us. He's half of the Schlafly duo. John and Andy Schlafly do the Schlafly Report every week. Publishes over at townhall.com, our sister site, and then is available at phyllisschlafly.com. This week's column, want, Wanton, I'm gonna, Wanton, I've never had, to, I never said that out loud, I guess. Wanton War on Early COVID Treatment. All right, John, Wanton War on Early COVID Treatment. Walk us through. What's going on? Is this about ivermectin and uh, hydrochloroquine? Well, uh, those are the two best known uh, yeah. uh, early treatments. And when I, you know, early means before you go in the hospital. And uh, both of those, first of all, both of those drugs have been safely used by millions of people for decades. You know, there's not any risk about a proper dose for humans. There, there was, hello? And, uh, yeah, yeah, we're here. keep going. Yeah, there was there was, there was a, you know there was really an annoying thing where the FDA tweeted out saying you know, you know that uh, acted you know just the other day you know saying you're not a horse or an animal therefore don't take those drugs. Uh, uh, of course, there there are different doses for animals, but that's not what we're talking about. And uh, the thing is, we've about reached the limit probably in the United States for uh, vaccination. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we have a, a core of the remaining people who have not been vaccinated are not going to get vaccinated, and that's just reality. Moreover, right. um, the you know we are now learning that vaccination really doesn't protect you from 
COVID. It may reduce. Well, that's what that's what that, 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 Yeah, let me ask you. Who've been vaccinated yeah. are right. You know, coming down with it, and uh, and uh, we 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 are approaching a situation where a number of people predicted last year, which is the fact that basically the entire nation, everybody is going to catch COVID. Well, before you know, before this is all done. And we just have to accept that without ruining our country in the process. And without having John, uh, uh, lockdown, uh, without having masks on five-year-olds in kindergarten, uh, right. you know, without having, uh, you know, they just announced today that uh, Delta Airlines is going to fine its employees $200 a month if they if their vaccine passport does not register properly. And, and uh, Biden announced He's calling on corporate America to basically crack the, you know, bring down the uh, threatened the jobs of everyone who does not comply with the, the official recommendation. And this is only going to get worse unless there's a safety valve. And the safety valve is, you know, early, benign, safe treatment for people who are just feel like they may be coming down with symptoms. And that's where these these two drugs, and there may be others, uh, but the point, Ed, is that they're being prohibited in large sections of the country where doctors are threatened with being uh, with being punished in their license if they prescribe them. Uh, uh, that, uh, uh, pharmacies are being threatened to lose uh, their licenses if they dispense them. They're, and as a result, they're hard to get. In fact, Ed, did you notice that... Um, there was a lawyer who was successfully sued three hospitals uh, mm-hmm. for, to obtain a ruling for a hospitalized patient to have access to ivermectin because the hospital was not going to allow the patient's hmm. own doctor to prescribe his own patient with that perfectly safe drug, which has worked in many cases. I mean, that's the the very, very outrageous situation that we've come to in this country and uh john uh, 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 john we're, to- we're we're talking with john shaffley sorry john let me interrupt though um isn't the principle if we can get to the principle of this isn't the principle um sort of autonomy of the person right so and the you know in other words you have a you have control over your own health care decisions if you if you decide that you are a christian scientist and you don't want to use certain medical things we've always carved out space for people to do that now i guess it tended to be religious exemptions is what we know best but um in this case isn't it true that the problem is that the media and the government has made the pandemic such a crisis with a capital C that they look like they're saying it's like polio, right? When polio was hitting, and you know you're older than me, but I know you weren't you weren't around when polio was hitting. But when polio was hitting, it was uh, it was hitting, and it was it was literally debilitating and killing in some many cases young people. And they said, you know, and they suddenly had a vaccine, and they said we can give a vaccine and it will stop, and it stopped. In this case, we sort of have a vaccine that's a little bit like a therapeutic. It doesn't really work as a vaccine. And we don't have a disease that's quite as dramatically severe as polio. You got polio. You had a a very small chance you could be one of the ones that just got sort of weak legged and then recovered. Most people got really sick really fast. So my point here is we usually say, okay. As conservatives, you have control over your own decisions, your health care decisions, and it should only be overridden 
by something dramatic like the, the Pearl Harbor happens and we say, well, you don't usually have to fight a war, but we're drafting you now because we have to have a war. There are moments where we have to do that. Our problem is we've been fed a narrative that this is a crisis with a capital C, which is supposed to override your health freedom. I mean, that's the that's the argument that you're 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 seeing that we have to sort of cut through, don't we? Well, that's is a part of that. It's a significant part of that, but I just want to apply your listeners that this is uh, we're talking about a small segment of the American people who are against modern medical science or against vaccines in general or that kind of thing. We're talking about a much larger segment of society, I think, who want the freedom to, who want private medicine. And, and uh, this is an issue that we, are, we have kind of lost. It's not just the freedom of the individual, but it's the freedom of the doctor to practice medicine on a doctor-patient hmm. relationship because in the last couple of decades, you know, we, we have lost a vast, many of the private doctors in private practice in our country, and they have been replaced by, you know, large healthcare organizations and hospitals and insurance companies, and, and the doctors have become, most of them, many of them, are just a cog in the machine. And they are no right. longer free. Doctors are no longer free to use their best judgment in the interests of their patients anymore. Hmm. Uh, the way it, it was 20, 30, 50, and more years ago. We've gotten, you know, you know everything. And, and, and so, therefore, uh, you know, and there are many, many doctors who keep up with medical science and who know from their own clinical practice what is the best way to treat their patient, and the idea that some that the so-called experts in Washington should define uh, medical practice for all doctors in the country, you know, think about that. That's not what we're supposed to have in this country. I mean, you know, to your own, you know, that, that your your relationship with your own doctor ought to be uh, primary, and uh, and and and. Uh, uh, and and uh, so that's, uh, you know, now we're talking about, you know, 100,000 100, doctors and we're talking about millions of patients. And it's not just, you know, a handful right. of... Yeah. Where 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 does it where does it end up, John? Where does it come to a head? I mean, you've watched again. We're talking with John Schlafly. He's half of the Schlafly Report, which comes out weekly at Townhall.com. But he's also for about uh, fifty years was at the right hand of his mother, Phyllis Schlafly. I mean, you've seen a lot of this, John. Where does this end up? I mean, we, because we're watching the sort of media and the government weaponize the anti-vax thing against people, and it's 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 working, right? So, but as you point out, it's not ten people that are Amish that are objecting. It's it's hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are saying, "Wait, I don't trust you." Where does it end up? Uh, well, it's. Uh, I think we're coming. To, there's going to be, you know, uh, flashpoints. We don't quite know yet. One of them may be the opening of school, uh, and the and the battle over masking little children. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be the the uh, mandatory vaccination as a condition of employment, which is just starting, just starting to be rolled out just this week as a result of the FDA approval of one of the vaccines. Uh, but at the same time, you know, 
you know, I think that, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an old uh, saying that if something can't go on forever, that it won't. But, uh, you know, but I do think that as the political cycle rolls, there's going to be a reaction to this. And we've already seen it. And uh, mm-hmm. because, yeah. the, you know, the change in our, and it's all tied into what's going on in Congress, too. And, and, and uh, the country is just changing faster. Faster, I think right. that most Americans right. are comfortable with, whether it's uh, yeah. you know, the you know the refugees, the the the, fact, mm-hmm. the lack of borders, uh, and, and what Congress is passing to remake America at breakneck speed. So. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, is going I think you're right. I think, I th- yeah, I think you're, John. I think you're right on that. I, 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 can't, I mean, I think you're speculating. I, I agree with you. I think interesting. We're talking with John Schlafly again. His column, which I'll put up on social media, wanted war on early COVID treatment. I do think one takeaway, John, is the healthcare system has not only gotten bad. It doesn't. It's not bad. It, it's bad. Um, it's not good financing. It's not smart money. It's not good enough care. And as you point out, it's taken away what was one of the great uh, breakthroughs in history. Was a, a lot of the modern medicine and the role that physicians played in judgment i gotta run john i'm out of time john schlafly everybody we'll take a break and be right back uh ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My listeners, you know how much I love books. And so I have a book in my hand right now. The author is Melanie Kirkpatrick. The book is called Lady Editor, a biography of Sarah Josepha Hale. And the subtitle is uh, Sarah Josepha Hale and the Making of the Modern American Woman. And really an extraordinary uh, biography. Melanie Kirkpatrick herself, uh, she's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, former deputy uh, p- uh, page editor, deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, which is a lot of writing and a lot of stuff. She's written a bunch of books. And so, first of all, welcome to the program. Uh, Melanie, how are you? I'm so pleased to be with you today, Ed. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. So this book, as I read it, I got to the end and I was reading about the end of her life, how she was remembered. She, by the end of her life, everybody knew she was influential. I mean, she came from hard scrabble, like she was a widow at a very young age and she had this incredible, by the end of her life, she was extraordinarily respected and yet not really remembered. And I wondered why, because she seems like one of the great figures of that era when I read your book. Why wasn't she, why didn't we, why didn't I, anyone, I guess, was she forgotten then after a while? I think there are a couple of answers to that question, Ed. She was the editor of the most popular magazine of the pre-Civil War period. She was the godmother of Thanksgiving. She was a foundational figure in um, women's education. And yet, um, after she died, um, she uh, kind of was tagged uh, because, well, forgotten, I think, because she was against uh, uh, female suffrage. She was a woman of the 18th century, I think, and really see her way toward uh, women voting. And I I think she was uh, unfairly judged by new standards. And and her work on behalf of of women and education, which, of course, is foundational to um, suffrage, um, was right. was just neglected. And she was judged by, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I almost want to say she was canceled, uh, using the language of yeah. today, because she had an unpopular view, and what she did accomplish was forgotten. 
Yeah, because, and again, we're, we're talking with uh, Melanie Kirkpatrick, the author of the book Lady Editor, and it's Encounter Books is the uh, publisher, uh, the Encounter Books. You can find it anywhere books are sold. So to that, because she was transformative, it's, and I, I hate to, my listeners, I always go back to the late Phyllis Schlafly. In many ways, Phyllis was, uh, she was conservative, but in many ways, she was a trailblazing woman. I mean, she did everything that women said they wanted to do. I mean, uh, you know, Sarah Hale, she was, she was advocating successfully for women to be teachers. She was, be herself editing, you know, not just contributing to, but editing, uh, as you mentioned, one of the, the most uh, famous magazines or influential she, in the in one of the descriptions of her that was sent to me, I think from the PR guys. She was like the cultural arbiter. She, she was the one who was saying what, what, what succeeded and what didn't. So, um, it was it because, I mean, in that period, she would have been recognized for all that. Uh, but I, I guess that was the politics of the day or soon after the politics were suffrage and she wasn't in the right spot. Uh, yeah, that was probably why she died, and then the the, the women's vote was the issue that uh, took over. Right. But I but I also think she's unfairly tagged for some of her views on on women. One of the things I learned when I was researching her was how extraordinary her influence was, and uh, it, not just. In helping women become teachers, because in the 1820s, when she started out, teaching was considered a man's field. Um, women right. were not accepted. She also worked in, uh, to um, promote women as doctors, women as postmistresses, and and many other huh. professions. At the same time, though, she considered that the greatest role a woman could fill was to be a mother. And uh, uh-huh. she had enormous respect and hoped to worked very hard to increase respect for women who worked in the home. She tried to professionalize housekeeping and um, um, women's work in the home, and uh, she mm-hmm. created the term domestic science uh, as a way huh. to help uh, professionalize and add value to to women's traditional work, while at the same time working for women to enter professions that uh, uh, had been closed to them. We're, again, we're talking with uh, Melanie Kirkpatrick, the author of Lady Editor. Uh, in looking through, my point here is that also that she, it, at the period, people don't remember, or, well, don't remember, can't really often wrap their head around. If you were publishing an influential magazine, a weekly, you had a ton of influence. It's it's how like Mark Twain published, and I think she, Edgar Allan Poe, she was uh, you know a promoter of Harriet Beecher yeah. Stowe. And on the back on the back of your book, and I love Nathaniel Philbrick, who's a great writer, but he says before there was Anna. Wintour, there was Sarah Josepha Hale. That doesn't seem right to me because when I read about her, she was getting handwritten letters from presidents. I guess Anna Wintour was, who was like the head of Vogue or whatever. That you know, but it feels like this. Um, your, your your Sarah Hale was kind of in the middle of the. I don't know, the whole culture, not in the middle of the uh, you know style culture. Am I oh, that's exactly reading right. it wrong? No, no, yeah. you're exactly right. She also disliked fashion, believe it or not. <laughs> she <laughs> she thought it encouraged avarice and vanity, and uh, she wasn't uh-huh. afraid to say so. Which uh, and and her publisher was happy to let her say it because uh, she was a great editor. Um, you know, it's hard to compare her influence to anybody today. If you used the name Mrs. Hale, not her full name, just the words Mrs. Right. Hale, uh, just about everybody in America would know who she was was. 
And huh. um, that's pretty phenomenal. It's like, uh, yeah. I, I hate to compare her to Oprah because uh, she was much bigger than Oprah, uh, you know, and much more intellectual than, than Oprah. Um, and uh, she, she uh, we haven't even mentioned that she's the godmother of our Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah. <laughs> she reinvented yeah. the whole idea of Thanksgiving, which had been a, a local holiday celebrated or maybe not celebrated in, in the various states, uh, all on different days. And she saw it as, um, she wanted it to be a national holiday when all Americans, North and South, came together and, uh, and were, thanked God for their blessings, she thought that it would help uh, avert civil war. At the same time, huh. she saw it as a um, uh, a uh, what's the word uh, uh, a feminine holiday because it huh. um, was a feminine sphere for family and for food and everybody coming together on a, a single day. And finally, she also uh, thought it was Thanksgiving was a symbol of American generosity of the great goodwill hmm. and outreach that Americans um, had for their fellow Americans. Yeah. Uh, again, Melanie Kirkpatrick is who we're talking to, the author, and the book, which is in my hand, is called Lady Editor. And uh, you can go to MelanieKirkpatrick.com and see all about her and her other books, because you yourself, your career editing other books, writing editorial uh, for the editorial page, writing. And, and by the way, can I ask you, Thanksgiving, your book from 2016, Thanksgiving, the holiday at the heart of the American experience. When you did that book, I love writers talking to writers about how this happens. Did you then see Sarah Hale and say, I better go figure out who that is? Is that yeah. how it led to this book? That's precisely yeah, that's cool. it. Um, I really loved her. She was the favorite, my favorite figure in my research from Thanksgiving. <laughs> and uh, the, the more I learned about her, the more I loved her. Imagine, she, her husband died, leaving her with four children and a fifth on the way. And she hmm. created herself into one of the first women to make a living as a writer. And I think it's wow. a great entrepreneurial uh, success story yeah. as, as well. And it could only happen in America, in my view. Um, you know? So, and, and she and she and, and she lived she died she lived a long life right I mean she that's yeah. one of the things that when you read it I was like wow she spanned I think I read George Washington she was born when Washington may have still been president and died when the 19th president was alive something extraordinary yeah. I mean her yeah. the she, length she, of her the, right she was yeah. born the Go year ahead. before Washington took office as president oh, okay. and uh, died <laughs> when uh, Buchanan was president and I'll say wow. uh, she had correspondence from uh, most with most of the presidents um uh, you know, <laughs> ending with Buchanan, but Johnson, um, Grant, etc. Wow. Before yeah. that, but she was a great figure. Hmm, amazing. One of my yeah. Well, so it's. If we, do we go ahead, yeah, please, please. Okay. Yeah, please, was, go ahead. Um, she wrote a wonderful book called Woman's Record. It's 900 pages, and it's the first wor work of women's study, the first work to put women at the center of its history. It's biographies huh. of 2,500 women from the Bible, wow. from the classical period up to the present day, 1853. Hmm. And she, when, when she was proud of that. And so what did she do? She called, she wrote to um, uh, James Buchanan, who then was uh, going to London, where he was going to be the ambassador, and he asked yep. him. To, she asked him to take a copy to Queen Victoria, 
And he didn't blink an eye. He said, sure. He took her. He took the copy wow. to Victoria. And then uh, wow. uh, Victoria replied through her secretary. Can huh. you imagine an author asking <laughs> wow. uh, as, you yeah. know, a few former, a future wow. president of the United States to do that today? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, authors are, they got chutzpah, these authors. I don't know. I may, I might believe it anyway. Uh, all right. Melanie Fitzpatrick, unfortunately, I got to run. We'll have you back on. Maybe I'll remember I'll get, I'll get your Thanksgiving book. Melanie Kirkpatrick, lady editor of biography, Sarah Josepha Hale, Joseph, Josepha Hale, and the making of a, of the modern American woman in counter books is really a great one. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. It's an unpleasant truth that millions of girls and women in America have been abused or assaulted by men. It's also true that many women live in fear of attack. While the numbers may be inflated or exaggerated by feminists, there's no denying that some men can pose a danger to women. But the threat that some women face is very foreign to many married women. Most married women don't expect violence from men. Instead, they expect and receive protection. That's because marriage makes women safer. A married woman is far less likely to be assaulted by her husband than an unmarried woman by her lover. Marriage also protects children. A girl who lives in a home with her married father is 17 times less likely to be abused. We all know that married men can still be violent to their families, but they are far less likely to be violent against women than our live-in boyfriends. Now, why is this? It's true that women who have found men who are already better partners are more likely to marry them, but it's also true that marriage settles men down. Being married makes a man care more about his family's expectations and future because he sees his family as enduring. It also makes him more faithful and committed to his partner. Marriage makes men directly protective of their wives, and living in a home with their daughters gives them the opportunity to be directly protective of them as well. Marriage also creates indirect protection for wives and daughters because married women and their children tend to live in safer neighborhoods. So what's the answer for women who worry about male violence? It's not to fear all men. It's to reject the lifestyle of frequent hookups, which is so much promoted on college campuses today, while the women pursue a career and avoid marriage. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. All right, I told you at the beginning of the show I wasn't going to allow the shiny objects that the Biden administration throws in front of us to distract me on this program, but I have to do it now. I have to cover this, su- this, this subject, uh, and that is the Pelosi enemies list that was published uh, on Wednesday. And so let me first explain, when something is going as bad as Afghanistan is, in terms of the press and the management, you just you understand, if you know a sort of politics and PR, that the... Um, that the party that's losing, that's struggling, is going to try to change the subject. It's the reason why uh, Joe Biden's team has talked frequently uh, and had him out talking about COVID. They're trying to change the subject. Well, on Wednesday, there was a report out from a guy at Politico. You told you, I told you I read Politico, and he tweeted, here's a list of the people who the January 6th commission, the select committee of Pelosi, the Pelosi uh, witch trial, the, the, the Pelosi show trials, They've requested documents from the National Archives, especially from the White House, uh, the White House's uh, interactions with the following people. And they listed Jack Posobiec and General Flynn and Roger Stone and Papadopoulos and everybody else and Ed Martin. So there I was. Now, you all know me, Ed Martin, here on the Pro-America Report. And by the way, visit Pro-America Report and sign up for my emails there. But you all know, you've heard what I did. You've heard my involvement. I was I was uh, involved uh, on January 1st, uh, January 6th, attended Trump's speech, went to my office, marched up Constitution Avenue. That's about all I saw. And, you know, I didn't see any, didn't go inside any buildings or anything like that. But I'm on this list. So why? Why today? Well, today, it's dropped on Wednesday because they're trying to distract anything to distract from what's going on in Afghanistan. Anything. So they can give the media something else to cover. I go, oh, wow, wow, I got a list. And of course, Roger Stone, I think, was the first one out commenting to the media saying this is nonsense. I put out a statement saying it's nonsense. But it's just meant to distract. And actually, it's a request of the National Archives to give them emails or correspondence or interactions with the list of people, me, Roger Stone, Jack Posobiec, General Flynn, a few others. But it's not a request of anybody else. Now, it may expand. If you're on that list, like I was, you probably wonder if you're getting a letter to your registered letter to your home saying, I do X, Y, Z. And, but it wasn't a subpoena. So they do it, didn't do it as a subpoena. It's a request. Now, a request to the National Archives, they'll comply. But I can tell you, I'm not going to comply with a request. I'm probably not going to comply with a subpoena, actually. I don't know if I would. I would see what it was about. I mean, you want, want the rule of law to be uh, upheld, but you can't be silly. So that's what's going on. It's an effort. And here's my here's my bet. My bet on this is that they did this big list. And on the list, there's 25 or 30 names. And and to be fair, a few of them are really famous. General Flynn, Roger Stone, Jack Posobiec. But most of them are sort of second tier people like me. Nobody, I mean, people know who I am a little bit, but not very much. But they dropped this list of 25 or 30 names for two reasons. One, they already have the goods. They already have something that they're going to point to. Probably one of the people on the list, they already have some emails or something. And it's emails between, say, one of the people on the list who was organizing a rally. And it's with someone in the White House. And they're saying, we should coordinate this. And then what the Democrats will release is, look, we found an email. From someone in the White House to some of these people, they were coordinating. There's the word. They already have something that they're going to roll out. It, in other words, this is a this is kabuki theater. It's kabuki theater. They're playing a game. They'll have a result they want to talk about in a few days or a few weeks when they get from the National Archives the, the emails and correspondence. But two, it's meant to drive people crazy. 
Because if you don't know better and you're working, I had to talk to a woman, a friend of mine who's up in uh, the Northeast. She's working away at her job, her life, and she happened to have been, uh, you know, at January 6th and had some role, uh, you know, in terms of people coming and helping organize things. She's on that list. She's terrified. I got a call from a friend of mine in Florida saying, hey, what do you think? Do you have to lawyer up and all? The point of this is to chill participation in public life and generally as I've told you before, to drive people towards self-censorship, where it's just too expensive, literally, money. It's just too costly, personal reputation, personal hassle, to do these things and get out, out outside of the lanes of what the powers that be deem to be good behavior. So as I've told you before, the narrative machine is that it was an insurrection, right? Who enforces the narrative? The narrative is enforced by big tech, it was an insurrection by, by big media, fake news. It was an insurrection and now by big government and they enforce it against as large a group as they can. The details big government does so that you can then and then first of all, they have lots of stories to generate to get support in the country, but to make people crazy, to make people crazy and to make people worried. And ultimately to make them, you know, lose their job and to lose their livelihood and to lose their focus and to say or do dumb things that are, you know, worse or, or get upset or, you know, pay for lawyers, all these things. It's a, it is completely predictable lawfare. The use of the law against people as a, as a tactic of warfare. Lawfare is warfare using the law against we the people. That's what they're doing here. That's what the intention is to make people crazy. And I feel like if they find something that they can point to and say, ha ha, look, I told you the word they'll use coordinated. Someone probably sent an email to someone else saying, hey, we should, if we're going to do something, we should coordinate that together. And they're like, ah, that's the kind of game they're playing. And I may sound flip about it because I generally recognize it, but it's really serious and it's very, very troubling. It should bother everybody that sees it in a big, big way because they're targeting people and they're trying to chill their speech and modify their behavior. And it should scare people. It should scare people. It really should. So that's what, um, that's what you have to understand about that. And, but don't get distracted. The Biden administration and others and Pelosi are trying to distract from what's really happening in this country. Let me say thank you, as always, to our great technical director and the director, the producer of the program, Noah Dingley, Joanna, for helping book our guests. And thank you for those great guests. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, sign up there for the daily email and check in some of these other interviews and standalone segments. And I will talk to you tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.